good weekend at Rancho, and thanks for being a part of it. Uh, all of this happens really because of you. You just being here matters, live or online. Uh, any bit you give or volunteer matters. Joining a team matters. It all matters. If you just need to be here to heal, to just find a church community, to make some friendships, um, that matters too. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get to this. What is this? <clears throat> this is a suitcase. We have had some form of suitcase as uh, humankind for about 100,000 years. So um, anthropologists have detailed that about 100,000 years ago, uh, early humans decided we're going to travel. We're going to go see the world. We're going to go over that horizon. And so they made suitcases. Not like this early on. They were sort of more rudimentary. They could have been wooden boxes. They could have been uh, made out of some, some fabric. Uh, they could have been made later years out of metal. But we've been traveling for 100,000 years. And for 100,000 years, we have had some sort of suitcase, right? 6,000 years ago, some genius human being invented the wheel, right? So for almost 100,000 years, in fact, 194,000 years, we've been lugging around suitcases and walking, right? Or riding animals or whatever. And it's been difficult. But when some genius, I want to meet that genius one day, invented the wheel, that was a game changer. Now we're mobile in ways that are more efficient, right? And so we're building carts and some cool things like that. And so now we can ride in vehicles. This is just 6,000 years ago. We can make wheels to move incredibly heavy things, which is how the pyramids were made, right? So you can argue that modern civilization was in large part built by one person who decided to make a wheel. Only 30 years ago, somebody decided to put a wheel on a suitcase. <laughs> 30 years ago. So, I mean, at some times in life, you think, wow, human beings are incredibly smart, right? We do all kinds of things, right? For thousands of years, we've been building cities and organizing civilizations and sanitation systems and, and theaters and incredible, you know, works of art. In, incredible. In our modern age, we have built transportation systems that are remarkable and medicine. Before we put a wheel on luggage, we were on the moon. Before we put a wheel on luggage, we had vehicles on Mars doing geology, right? We have a supercomputer in our hands that we call a phone before we put a wheel on a suitcase. So we've been lugging around like this since the wheel was invented for 5,970 years. And somebody said, I think a wheel needs to go on a suitcase. And voila, all of a sudden, this becomes so much easier, right? It's like a finger. I, could, I have carried, I've got four kids. I have had six rolling suitcases behind me. With a child, surely, like a car seat and a child. Have you ever put a child on a suitcase? It's genius, right? Sometimes I think we're smart. Sometimes I think, how did it take 5,970 years to put a wheel on a suitcase? Sometimes it's just a simple idea that changes everything. That's what Jesus brought to us. Jesus brought a simple idea that changed everything. And so during this series called Jesus Gets Us, we're talking about the simple idea that Jesus brought to humankind that changes everything. The problem is it's so hard for us to accept it. It's so hard for us to believe it. It's so hard for us to receive it because the message is so simple. It is so easy that we think it can't possibly be true. It's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus came to deliver. So we're going to talk about 
what that good news is. But that good news that Jesus brings lightens the load. So instead of carrying around all this baggage, right? Carrying around guilt and shame and all this complex relationship with God and am I making him happy? Am I pleasing him? Is he gonna answer my prayers? You know, am I gonna be condemned when I die? All these heavy, heavy burdens. Instead of carrying those around, Jesus says, we're gonna make this so, so simple and easy and light. One of our favorite verses here at Rancho, top 10 quoted for sure, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my teaching to heart and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. My way is easy, my way is light. Doesn't that feel good? Easy, light, lifting the burden. That's what this series, Jesus Gets Us, is all about, lightening our load, because, you know, this world is full of burdens. This world is full of chaos. It's full of uncertainty. It's full of anxieties. It is full of things that might, you know, cause us to, to, to feel threat or feel guilt. And, and Jesus says, I'm going to give you a simple message that's going to lighten the whole thing. It's not that life is easy all the time. Jesus never promised that. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but... I have overcome the world and I'm giving you a way of thinking. I'm giving you a worldview. I'm giving you a lifestyle and I'm giving you each other, a whole community to lighten the load. Are you ready? And it's all about love. It's all about serving. It's all about the sacrifice that God gives towards us. It's all about this vision of loving one another. So we're using uh, some of these commercials from the He Gets Us campaign, and there are, you know, controversies around it, as with everything. Left has these opinions, the right has these opinions, whatever. We're just going to take a look at these commercials and really explore who Jesus is to us and just take great comfort that he truly gets us. He empathizes and walks with us and wants to lighten our load along the way. Let's take a look. Maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this And see what's behind Got no way to prove it So maybe I'm lying Take a look in the mirror What do you see? Do you see it clearer? Or are you deceived? In what you believe? Cause I'm only human That's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? That was a commercial that was shown during the Super Bowl. And a lot of people commented on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, social media just kind of blew up over this ad hitting the Super Bowl like Super Bowl goes to church. Those are some of the headlines, right? And this group of people, big money people, want to rebrand Jesus because the name of Jesus has been kind of hijacked by political powers, by religious powers, and the name of Jesus has been manipulated to fit our personal politics or our personal religious convictions. And we need to kind of get above all that and look squarely at the life, the ministry, the teaching of Jesus through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and find out what is he really about? What is he really about? And what we'll see today is that Jesus is really about sacrifice. 
He's about showing such love to the world that he gives of himself to the point of giving everything to love us, to serve us, to care for us, to meet our needs, to make us happier. Mark 10, 45 is a very, very famous passage. And listen to what Jesus says. Even the son of man, so he calls himself the son of man, meaning he is, he's the one who is sort of the, the exalted son of man, the exalted son of God. He knows who he is. He knows his mission. Full divinity, full humanity in Jesus Christ. Even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others. Isn't that incredible? Jesus, fullness of humanity, but the fullness of divinity, he didn't even come to be served. He didn't come say, hey, look at me. Look at the power I have. Look at the miracles I've done with my own hands. Serve me, worship me, make my life better. He didn't do that. He did just the opposite. I am here to serve and get this, to give his life as a ransom for many. Give his life. Now, some of you might think, and I would understand this, that, well, that means he's gonna die as a sacrifice for our sins. Well, hold on just for a second. He said this while he was still very much alive. And he says, I am giving my life. I am giving my life. I'm giving up what I rightfully possess to make other people's lives better. He's giving his life as a ransom. In other words, as an exchange, I'm gonna give up some things to give you things. I'm gonna give up some of my comforts to make you more comfortable. I'm gonna give up some of my privileges to bring some privilege to you. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus sacrifices for us. Jesus sacrifices for us. Now, this is a remarkable concept, right? Because if Jesus is, in fact, fully human and fully divine, if he's the full expression of God, in fact, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His disciples are saying, we just want to see God, right? That God is this mystery. He's just in our minds, and he's out there, and he's invisible, and we desperately want to just know God. And Jesus says, listen, it might sound a little arrogant, but, you know, he is who he is. He says, if you want to know God you've seen him. You've seen me. You've seen the father. You've heard my teaching. You've heard the teaching of the father. You see my works. That's the work of the father. You want to know God, know me. And we've been exploring that concept now for 2000 years. Who is Jesus? What are his priorities? What's his teaching? What's his mission? How did he live his life? And to say, you know what? If that's the heart of God, I'm in. I am in. And we see the heart of God through Jesus as a heart of sacrificing for us. That's hard to think about because, you know, if, if, if God is God, he's the exalted and the perfect one, and we know we're not perfect, how is it possible that God serves us? If he's the perfect, exalted God, and we are imperfect creation, shouldn't we be the ones serving him? And Jesus says, no. Not even the Son of Man came to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a hard concept to get our heads around. It is God who serves us, not we who serve God. We're gonna talk about what it means for Jesus to sacrifice for us. There's really two ways to think about sacrifice. And the funny thing about that is they are mutually exclusive in many respects. So, so follow me here. There's two definitions of sacrifice in the Bible and in uh, language all throughout the world. Two definitions of sacrifice. One is giving an offering to atone for sin. Giving an offering to atone for sin, that's a sacrifice, right? So just think of any religion on earth, any people group on earth, there's always a sacrificial system. You know, so someone sacrifices a, a goat. I know that sounds pretty, you know, barbaric and, and ancient, but, you know, just follow me here. Some, there's a sacrifice of a goat, a blood sacrifice to appease a God. And this would be true of a lot of ancient religions, including the Hebrew religion in the Old Testament, right? 
There's other kinds of religious sacrifice. God, you know, I'm, I'm going to church today, right? So this could be a sacrifice, an offering to atone for sin. So some of you might've been really bad boys and girls this last week, right? And you made some decisions or you're struggling in life, you're struggling with your own decisions. And you might think, if I went to church and if I praise God and pray and hear this message and, and participate in church activities and, 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 and pray to God, I'm very sorry, then you will atone for your sin. So it doesn't have to be the blood of a goat to appease God. It could be simply coming to church thinking that we're atoning for our sin. It's an exchange, right? There's another way to think about sacrificing, which is totally different, and that is giving ourselves for the benefit of others. There is no exchange. I'm just gonna give myself for the benefit of the other. I'm gonna sacrifice some time, sacrifice some treasure, sacrifice some of my skills, and I'm just gonna do something for another human being. I'm not getting anything in return. I'm just gonna do something for another, and that's a sacrifice. So one is an exchange to atone for sin, and the other is just a straight gift. Here I am, can I be of help, right? So let's talk about the concept of sacrifice as atoning for guilt. Atoning for guilt. If you were raised in church, sorry, this is your jam. This is your jam. Because if you go to church, first thing you're gonna hear is everything you do wrong. Then you're gonna hear, but God is perfect and disappointed. And here's how to turn that around and do what's right. That's just church, right? This isn't to judge everybody everywhere. It's just that that's kind of the normal experience, right? Now, that is very Old Testament. That's very Old Testament. Now, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, but we also believe there is an Old Testament and there is a New Testament. There is an Old Covenant and there's a New Covenant, and they are different. And the New Covenant fulfills the Old. The New Covenant, quote, cancels the Old. The New Covenant, quote, makes the Old obsolete. The New Covenant, quote, makes the Old disappear. I'm quoting right from Hebrews. Yet we still live in the Old Testament. We still think in the Old Testament. We still uh, have a relationship with God as though it's based in the Old Testament. Let me explain. Now, for those of you who are brand new to church, and we met a lot of people today that are brand new to church. And, and so, so just walk with me here. There's, we're gonna dabble in a little theology. So for those of you who are theology geeks, this is gonna be your jam for a few minutes. For those of you who are brand new, just follow me. I guarantee this will make sense. You read your Bible in the Old Testament. Here's how it goes. Here's the story. The nation of Israel was promised political success if they kept God's commandments, the Ten Commandments. The nation of Israel was promised political success if they kept God's commandments. That's the promise, that's the covenant. They often failed to keep God's commandments. So you read through the Bible, you're like, here's the Ten Commandments. The next page, they're blowing it. And they're suffering the consequence of that, right? And so they have a guilt problem. They have a guilt problem. I'm not obeying the, the commandments, so God's gonna punish me, and God is not going to make our nation prosperous the way he promised he would if we obeyed the commandments. So they have a guilt problem. So here, here comes the priests of the nation of Israel. This is the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes. They're the priests over Israel. How are we gonna solve our guilt? We disobeyed God's commandments. Somebody's gotta pay a price. We don't wanna pay the price. Offering, a sacrifice. And so there's, there's a sacrificial system developed. So priests offered sacrifices to atone for their sin. Some of it was money, give God money. Uh, you might've heard of a tithe, and we might think a tithe is giving 10%. Oh no, the Old Testament is 23.3%. So, you know, it was money. Then there was, that was a joke, by the way, I'm not asking for anything. <laughs> then there's a grain offering. Hey, if you're a farmer, you've got valuable stuff. And so take the first part of your grain, go to the temple, burn it. 
Because God up there, who's very mad because we've disobeyed his commandments, he wants this burnt grain. I don't know who came up with God wanting burnt grain, but anyway, it's in there. And uh, so burn your grain as an offering, give it up, sacrifice. Or if you've got animals, get, take your animals to the temple and slaughter them. Blood sacrifice. If you are on the poor side of life, it would be a dove. Most everybody could afford a poor little dove. If you had a little bit of money, it could be a goat, a lamb. If you were, if you were big time, you'd have an ox. So, you know, you'd be coming to church today and some of you with ox is like, yeah, I got some bucks. This ox is gonna get it, you know, to atone for the guilt. That's all in the Old Testament, all in the Old Testament. Now, to relieve some anxiety, they did eat uh, what they uh, killed. So that makes me feel a little bit better, you know, reading some of that stuff. But still, it's a little uncomfortable. It's unsettling. And here's the punchline. It didn't work. Didn't work. This whole sacrificial system, blood sacrifices, grain offerings, money to the temple, it didn't work. It didn't cause the nation of Israel to honor God more, to obey God more, to be more faithful to, to the commandments. It didn't work. And by the way, it never works. And by the way, this is the same kind of sacrificial system that's in every religion on the face of the earth. Every single religion has some kind of sacrificial system all the way back to the dawn of, of humankind. I love watching these uh, Viking shows, kind of, you know, from the comedies uh, like Norsemen to, you know, Vikings, the, the, the Prime movie and all kinds of stuff. I'm just, I'm kind of a big fan of that Viking era. Um, but they had very advanced sacrificial systems. You give this animal, you give this offering and, and the gods will be appeased. The Greeks had that system. The Romans had that system. Every tribal religion has had that system. Every modern religious system on earth has some kind of exchange. God, you want these things and that will make you happier with me. You're mad at my sin. If I give you these things, you're gonna be less angry with me and maybe you won't judge me. Maybe you'll answer my prayer. Maybe you'll make my life better if I do, things, do these things for you. Same sacrificial system, every religion at every time, including the Old Testament in the Bible. That's a sacrifice to atone for sin. That's the Old Testament. It needs to stay in the Old Testament, but it doesn't because we're human beings and human beings are very aware of our own failures. And we have this you know, notion, rightfully so, that God, the creator must be a perfect God and I'm an imperfect person. Therefore, God must be mad at me. Therefore, I deserve God's judgment. I deserve God's condemnation. And a lot of us have grown up in the system that says, if we fail to obey God, he's gonna condemn us in this life and worse yet, condemn us throughout eternity. And we live with that. Most religious systems and cultural systems live with that. It's an incredibly heavy burden that we are lugging around still to this day. It's not in the Old Testament where it should be, in the Old Covenant where it should be. We pull it forward. And here's how it goes. Nod, my, nod your head if you've heard these things. We are sinners. <laughs> There's like, oh, everybody's on. Our sin separates us from God. As a result of our sin, we deserve eternal condemnation because of our sin. Jesus then became a human sacrifice atoning for our sins. Jesus took the penalty of our failure, torment, death, and condemnation for us. That sound familiar? That's kind of the normal message of normal kind of evangelical Christian church. Other kinds of Christian backgrounds have the same message. It's about us being labeled sinners 
causing the anger of God, the wrath of God, so that we deserve condemnation. And instead of us being condemned, Jesus himself was condemned on our behalf. Now, here's the problem. This makes Jesus essentially a human sacrifice, a human blood sacrifice, right? Isn't that kind of the deal? If Jesus atoned for our sins through the cross, that means he's essentially a human blood sacrifice, atoning for our sins. Here's the problem with that. In the scripture, many places in the scripture, Old and New Testament, human sacrifices were considered to be among the most abhorrent things in all the earth. I spent uh, quite a bit of time in, in South America. Uh, and as I spend time in South America, you visit all the sites, right? You visit all the, the sites of the Aztecs and the Mayans and all these temples. And then you hear what happened at those sites. We're talking about taking human slaves and slaughtering human beings to appease the gods as a sacrifice. And I mean, it churns your stomach because it's like, oh, that is horrific. Human sacrifice is horrific. Human sacrifice in the scripture is considered to be among the most detestable things. Here's Leviticus 18.21. Here is God like shouting at Israel, do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice to Molech. In other words, these are just gods who supposedly demand human sacrifice. And God is saying, don't you dare even consider human sacrifice. It is abhorrent, for you must not bring shame on the name of the Lord. Uh, I am the Lord. Don't do it. And yet the message of the sacrifice of Jesus is often that he's a human sacrifice. We deserve the condemnation of God, but Jesus stepped in the way and was condemned for us. We deserve to die, and Jesus died for us. We deserve hell, and Jesus went through hell for us. He becomes a human sacrifice. Human sacrifice was so detestable to God that the place that human sacrifice took place, which is the Valley of Hinnom, you can go visit it right now, is considered to be, quote, hell. It's labeled hell because that's where human sacrifice happened, in the Valley of Hinnom. So to think that God Almighty gave Jesus his son as a human sacrifice is to think that God did the very thing he called evil, the very thing he called a shame, the very thing he called an abomination. And it is such a burden to carry that Jesus, the perfect son of God, became a human blood sacrifice for my sin. Do you realize what a burden that is on people? I caused the crucifixion of Christ? I mean, here's how this often goes. Some of you have done this if you're about 45 years old or older. You might recall the youth group days when you write your sin on a piece of paper and then nail it to a cross. What are we doing? I caused the crucifixion, my sin caused the crucifixion of Jesus? I mean, the message goes like this. I'm a sinner so full of guilt that I caused God to give his only son as a human sacrifice. God did the very thing he declared evil because of me. Some of us have lived with that our whole lives. My sin and my failure deserves the wrath of God. But instead of God pouring out his wrath on me, he poured out his wrath on Jesus. I'm the one who's responsible for the condemnation, the torture, the death, the sacrifice of Jesus on a cross. I mean, wow. But because we've grown up in that and we've heard it so many times, it just, it's just our truth. It's just seeped in. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. His wrath I deserve. And Jesus took that wrath and died as a human sacrifice so that my sins would be atoned for. We teach that to our young kids. So I'm gonna bring an invisible five-year-old up here. Oh, you're so cute. Five-year-old, what, about that big? 
All right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell this invisible five-year-old what a lot of five-year-olds who are not invisible are told. You ready? Here it goes. All right, this is Sunday school. All right, five-year-old, you're a sinner. You have sin in your life, and that sin causes God to be very angry. Your sin separates you from God, and you little five-year-old sinner deserves the wrath of God, but God sent his son to take the place of the wrath that was headed for you, and he died on a cross. Your sin is responsible for the death of Jesus. We tell kids this big, you're responsible for the death of Jesus. Your primary identity is that you are a sinner and you are a sinner and you are a sinner. And then we have this message that's supposed to be good, right? That Jesus atoned for your sin, but that means that this little five-year-old caused the death of Jesus. And unless you believe that, there's eternal condemnation for you. I hate to laugh, but do you know how many tens, if not hundreds of millions of people are burdened with that sense of old covenant, eye for an eye, your sin causes God to be full of vengeance. He has to pour out his vengeance somewhere, not on you. Oh, Jesus, his son will be a human sacrifice. Wow. This causes two things. It causes us to be permanently guilty, fearing God's judgment for our sin. And I meet a lot of permanently guilty people. There's this little formula. The more time you spend in church, the guiltier you are. Guilty, more guilty. The more time you spend in church, the more guilty you are. That's just a law. It's a rule. It's calculus. Look it up. Right? So this whole idea causes permanent guilt or permanent self-righteousness where you, you, know, you think you've kind of attained, you're obeying God, and so you're like this religiously elite, which gives you the right to judge others for their sin. This idea of sacrifice being an, an exchange and atonement for sin causes either permanent guilt or permanent self-righteousness. That's the result. That's the heavy burden. That's the heavy suitcase, right? Now, here's, here's the thing. This whole idea of sacrifice, this whole idea of, of, of giving God money, giving God grain, giving God animals, that whole idea that's in the Old Testament, that's supposed to stay in the Old Testament, God never wanted it anyway. God never wanted it anyway. And some of you who are real Bible people, you're maybe freaking out a little bit. That's all right. Walk with me. Psalm 51, 16 through 17. Oh God, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a contrite and humble heart. God's always been about the heart always been about the heart. So God's looking at Israel or every other religion on earth offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And God is like saying, I don't want it. I never have wanted it. It's all about the heart. I want a relationship with you. I want you to know that I love you, that I cover your sin. And when you do make a mistake that hurts yourself or hurts others, let's walk with you to a better life. God says, I don't want you to hurt yourself. Let's do better. I don't want you to hurt others. Let's do better in the context of relationship, not in the context of offering burnt offerings and animals and blood. God never wanted it in the first place. I love Jeremiah 7, 21 and 22. This is what the Lord says. Take your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat it. Eat it. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, it wasn't burnt offerings and sacrifices I wanted. Again, he's wanting a heart relationship. He says later in, in Jeremiah, he says, this is about what I, what I want being embedded in your hearts and we have a relationship that leads you to a better future. God says, I don't even want this stuff. 
God is basically saying, if I could take some liberties in the English translation, shove it. Shove the whole system. I don't want it. And we still have that kind of mentality today. God, what do you need from me? What do you want from me so that you would be happy with me, that you would bless my life, that you would answer my prayers? We still are in the Old Testament churning. What sacrifice does God want from me? And God's saying, listen, I want a sacrifice for you. That's what I want. And I want you to know how much I love you and how much I care for, that I've forgiven you. Now, when you do make mistakes that hurt yourself or others, there's a better way forward, all in the context of grace, all in the context of of him being a father and you being a child, right? We don't wish bloody vengeance on our children when they make a mistake, yet that's what we think God wants. And Jesus gave a bloody sacrifice to appease an angry God. I mean, let's pause and think about it. And look at the scripture. God says, that whole system, you can shove it. He says, eat it. But I, you know, I like that version better. Here's a second definition of sacrifice. When we say Jesus sacrifices for us, it means Jesus gave himself for our benefit. It wasn't some exchange, punishment for punishment. Jesus gave himself for our benefit. And so Jesus came for our benefit, and he says, listen, you guys got a lot of this messed up. You have thoughts about God that are all messed up. We've got to get your worldview squared away. So here's what Jesus says. He says, hey, listen, what if God wasn't a fierce judge but a loving father? What if God wasn't a fierce judge but a loving father? What if God didn't see our failures but he sees in us a child he deeply loves? What if God wasn't interested in punishing us, getting us back, but interested in guiding us toward a better life? What if God doesn't demand we sacrifice for him, but he actually sacrifices for us? Wouldn't that change everything? In sacrificing for us, Jesus says, you need a new worldview. You need a new worldview. And then he lived his life helping other people. He lived his life sacrificing for the benefit of other people. So he sacrificed to benefit the sick. He sacrificed to benefit the poor. Just read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He sacrificed to benefit the hungry. He sacrificed to benefit the outcast. He sacrificed to benefit the lonely. He sacrificed to benefit the victim. He sacrificed to benefit those who were labeled sinners by the religious elite. Jesus gave of himself purely for the benefit of others. If I could put it this way, Jesus sacrificed for the pleasure of making others happy. Isn't that kind of cool? Read the Bible. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Follow Jesus around. He sacrificed, he gave of himself for the pleasure of making others happy. Now, for those of you who are theologically minded and you got your Bibles and maybe right now you're all over Hebrews and all over Romans, I get all the passages, know them, studied them for a lifetime. There's something about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament that seems to apply to Jesus and that would be true. We're gonna geek out, give me two minutes to geek out. You ready? Here we go. It is true that Israel offered a lot of blood sacrifices to God. Millions and millions of animals. So much so in the Day of Atonement, there were rivers of blood flowing out of the temple. Millions of animals as an offering to God. All the while, we already established God didn't want any of it. I don't want it. Eat it. Shove it. We already established that. Let me also establish something else. John 1:17. For the law, the Ten Commandments, the whole sacrificial system, animals, grains, money, all of it. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Who did the law come through? 
answer the question. Who did the law come through? Moses. One more time. Who did the law come through? Moses. Great. Good for Moses. Gave the law to Israel to civilize them. Ultimately didn't work. But grace and truth came through who? Jesus. We look to Jesus. We don't look to Moses. We look to Jesus. You see, Moses brought the law, giving sacrifices for God. Jesus brought the truth that God sacrifices for us. You see the power of that? Changes everything. God is no longer feared as the judge, full of anger and wrath and and disappointment, and we are no longer having to sacrifice for him. We can just live in this incredible peace that God loves us, that we're a daughter of God, a child of God. He doesn't even see our sin. That's the beauty of Jesus. He, He gave his life, not as some exchange to be a human bloody sacrifice for us, but to show us that to the very end, he loves and gives and is for us, always serving us, everyone, everywhere, no matter what you've done, he sacrifices for you, for your benefit, for your happiness to the very end. If I had to grab the church of Jesus Christ globally by the shoulders, in love, no violence, just grab the church of Jesus Christ by the shoulders and look that church right in the eye, I would say, listen, please listen to me. Whether you're five years old in Sunday school or 105 years old who has believed this your entire life, know that Jesus did not die to take the torment, death, and hell that you deserve. Don't bear that burden. Don't carry that baggage around. Know that God requires no sacrifice from you. He never has. He never will. Know that God sacrifices for you, and he's proven that through Jesus. Whether you are, 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 are sick or poor, whether you've been labeled a sinner, whether you make mistakes in your life, God is always running toward you, always forgiving, always loving, always embracing. And yes, there might be times in our life where, where God might say, you gotta do a little better. You're hurting yourself. I don't want you to hurt yourself. Let's walk this journey over here. Or you're hurting others. I don't want you to hurt others. Let's walk this journey over here. All in the context of love and grace and forgiveness. Jesus did not die to take the torment, death, and hell that we deserve. Jesus died because the torment, death, and hell of this broken world rejected him and put him to death. Little did they know the power of love and the power of God on the third day would change the story, but we're gonna get to Easter here in a few weeks. It's gonna be fun. But don't think that the death of Jesus took the hell that you deserve. You're a dearly loved child of God made in his image. You deserve to be loved. You deserve to be happy. When you struggle, you deserve to be walked through with grace and compassion. When you fail, you deserve to know that you're forgiven. You are loved, and so you deserve to know that when things aren't going right and you're making some bad choices, let's make some better choices. And we'll walk together in that direction. That's what you deserve. But here's something very powerful. The death of Jesus not only proved how loved we are by his sacrifice, even at the very end, the death death of Jesus caused something incredibly powerful. And again, this is a little theological. The death of Jesus put to death the entire Old Covenant, Old Testament system. Killed the whole thing. 
Jesus was born and raised in that religious system. He was born and raised with the Ten Commandments. He was born and raised with the temple structures and the animal sacrifices. Jesus himself participated in the animal sacrifices as a male in his family. He went through it all, and he knew the nonsense of it. He knew God the Father didn't want any of it. He knew God just wanted us to know how loved we are and how forgiven we are, and that we can walk to a better life in love and grace. And so he had to change the whole paradigm. And so in that paradigm, in that religious system, He knew it all, he experienced it all. He knew this had to die. The whole system had to die. Hebrews 7, 27. Unlike the high priests of old, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus died once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice. Jesus gave himself in that entire system, his entire life, and he knew that had to be put to death. It is that system that killed Jesus. It is the religious system that said he must go. Jesus is trying to free them from the religious system. And so he's reteaching the heart of the law. He's reteaching the heart of God. He's not a judge. He's a father. He doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants you to know your love. He wants you to know you're forgiven. Jesus drew crowds of tens of thousands and the religious people said he must die. It's the religious system that killed Jesus. And so when he died, it was the death of the whole system. Hebrews 8, 12. God promised, I will remember their sins no more. A new covenant covenant has made the first obsolete. Now it is becoming obsolete and growing is old and ready to vanish. This old system of religion in the old covenant through Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus, the system is obsolete because Jesus established once for all, you're loved, you're forgiven, God's your heavenly father, the sins of the whole world, John, 1 John 2, 2, absolved, atoned for. You don't need the system, the system is dead. So if you still carry that system over, if you still think that there's something between you and God right now, if you think that right now where you're sitting, where you're watching at home, if you think that right now There's something between you and God. There's some distance between you and God. There's guilt between you and God. There's sin between you and God. There's shame between you and God. Anything that you think or feel is between you and God. You're living in the Old Testament. It's time to live in the grace of God and know nothing separates you from God. Nothing. The sacrifice of Jesus giving himself for your benefit says God doesn't even see your sin. It is forgiven Believe that, receive that, and know that even in the last moments of the life of Christ, he is being crucified by the religious and political powers and systems of the world. As he's being crucified, even then, he's sacrificing, living for the benefit of the people around him. On the cross, he says to his best friend, John, my mom is gonna need to be taken care of. John, would you take care of my mom? He said that from the cross. He's dying He's being suffocated to death, nailed to a cross, and he's still sacrificing and still sacrificing, making sure his mom is taken care of. And then he turns to his mom and he says, my best friend, John, he's he's still kind of young. He needs to be taken care of. Would you be a mom to my friend on the cross? He turns to the, the thief on the cross being crucified next to him who's afraid and he's breathing his last breaths and Jesus wants to serve him and sacrifice for him. And so he says, I just want you to know as you're experiencing the fear of death, today you will be with me in paradise. And he calmed the fear of the person being crucified. I mean, is, is that, that is sacrifice. 
He even looks to the people crucifying him. These are the Roman soldiers crucifying him. The very ones who nailed the nails through his hands and nailed the nails through his feet. And he says to them, Father, forgive them. He wants them to know they don't even have to live with the guilt of murdering the Son of God. Do you realize what an incredible gift Jesus is to this world? He's the fullness of God declaring to his final breath, I'm here for you. Not to be served, but to serve and to give my life for you. His very last breath, he says, it is finished. And we grab onto those words, it is finished. The work of Jesus proves to the entire world, God loves us. He doesn't see our sin. We're his child. Let's walk forward with the pleasure of knowing his love for us. And let's love the world around us. Let's love the world around us. Jesus sacrificed for the pleasure of making others happy. And so guess what we get to do? We get to live our lives for the pleasure of making other people happy. Isn't that fun? Isn't that cool? If Jesus lived for the pleasure of making us happy, knowing we're loved by God and embraced by God, we can then live for the pleasure of making others happy. Friday night was a perfect example. Here's the dance floor, just going off. Giant jellyfish on the ceiling. This was here hours ago. A kraken busting through our stage. Bubbles, undersea bubbles, balloons. I mean, magical, magical time. DJ there, 162 kings and queens with special needs having the time of their life. Horse-drawn carriages, red carpets, celebration, tiaras on every beautiful woman, crowns on every wonderful man. Over 250 parents and caregivers next door, playing games, having fun, food everywhere. Over 350 volunteers. You raised $42,000 to make that night happen and roughly 6,000 man hours to put this on. That's what it means in just one night to live in a culture and a community that understands Jesus sacrifices for us. Jesus gave of himself to make us happier, to lighten our load. And so we get to th say, thank you, God, that's, thank you. Now, can I do this for other people? Can I sacrifice? Can I give away to make the lives of other people happy? Think right now, who do you wanna make happy? Right now, as you're sitting here, who do you wanna make happy in life? Could be the person next to you, the knucklehead next to you. I wanna make him happy, I wanna make her happy. I wanna make my kids happy. What can we do to sacrifice a little bit of ourselves to make them happy? That's what Jesus did for us. We get to do that to our family. Maybe you have a, a neighbor that's just a grouchy, crotchety neighbor, unhappy. <laughs> Clearly you have some unhappy neighbors. God, you sacrificed for me, for the pleasure of making me happy. How can I make my grumpy neighbor happy? I'm gonna make some food, some muffins, some whatever. I'm gonna smile and wave every single day. How can I make my coworker happy? Maybe you have a coworker who's really going through it. How can I make them happy? How can I sacrifice just a little to make them happy? We're doing a join the team thing. Maybe I can volunteer at our Thrive Special Needs Ministry, right? And experience the prom and our Thrive Sunday School and, and Thrive Summer Camp. Maybe, maybe that's where I wanna go. Children's youth. I'm gonna sacrifice a little to make others happy. Ephesians 5, 2 says this and we're done. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and sacrificed for us as a pleasing aroma to God, 
Now do the same. We're going to close in, in communion. And I realized yesterday, or not yesterday, the last hour, that not everybody knows what communion is. Communion is a reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus. If you don't have this cup, just raise your hand and some professionals will come around and, and give you uh, these cups. Just raise your hand. On the bottom of the cup is the bread. On the top of the cup is the fake wine. When Jesus was with his disciples for the very last time, he shared a meal that we now call communion. A little bit of bread, a little bit of wine. These are reminders, these are symbols of just how far Jesus went to sacrifice for us. So take the bread off of the bottom. When Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, my sacrificial love for you is gonna cost me my life and my body will be broken. This is how much I love you. I've given it all for your benefit. Would you take this and eat this to remember me? And then Jesus took the wine of that Passover meal and he said, let this remind you of my blood that's about to be shed to show you how much I love you. I will give everything, all of it, to the very end to show you that God himself through me sacrifices for your benefit. Would you drink this in remembrance of Jesus? I'm gonna close in a prayer and an invitation. There are those of you here today, live and online, who are hearing this message for the very first time. And you are considering escaping this Old Testament heavy baggage of rules and condemnation and shame and separation from God. And you are walking into the freedom of God's grace, his pure, unconditional love for you. If that's you today, I'm gonna to close in a prayer of faith. And this is a prayer that says, God, I'm in. I believe in Jesus, the grace of Jesus. I receive that today. Next Sunday at noon, right next door, we're gonna have a baptism. That's another symbol that's gonna remind you of the grace of God, the cleansing grace of God that raises you up to a whole new life, washed by God's grace, declared perfect in his sight. So I wanna invite you to pray with me right now and then join me for a baptism ceremony perhaps next Sunday at 12 o'clock to be that public expression that you're in, that you're covered by God's grace through Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this beautiful morning and really this beautiful weekend that we've shared together to not only accept and embrace your love for us, but to give that away. To not only accept and embrace the sacrificial love that you've given to us through Jesus who gave everything to his last breath for our benefit, but we can do the same for others as we did Friday night to just bless hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Not because anything was given, get, it received in return, but purely for the pleasure of living for the happiness of others. We receive this message through Jesus. We're free from the burden and the baggage and the heaviness of thinking there is guilt and shame between us and you, thinking that our sin somehow separates us from you. Jesus came to prove that it does not. And he took upon his own body the sin and the evil and the violence of this broken world. And he succumbed to it on Friday, but rose again on Sunday, so there is hope again of new life and eternal life by your grace. We receive that through Jesus, your son. In his name we pray, amen. amen.